Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor introduces new restrictive measures to slow the growing rate of COVID-19 transmission and ease the strain of an overwhelmed hospital system. Then, Mississippi's three public HBCUs will not be playing football this fall. We check in with their athletic departments about the SWAC's decision to suspend fall sports. Plus, the census response rate in Mississippi is below the national average. We examine why it's important to get counted. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves is taking more restrictive measures to slow what has been the worst month of COVID-19 transmission since the pandemic reached Mississippi in mid-March. Last week, Reeves announced three new additions to existing measures, beginning with the addition of six new counties under his mask mandate. Reeves added Calhoun, Holmes, Lamar, Montgomery, Winston, and Yalabusha counties to the existing list of 23 under the current order. Reeves did not remove any counties from the existing list. We are also going to add restrictions for the entire state, which include lowering our crowd limits for social gatherings statewide to a limit of 10 people indoors and 20 people outdoors. We know that it is no safer to throw a party in a parking lot than it is to go to a bar. We just can't uh, be allowing that to happen right now because it is a death sentence for many who come in contact with those who are partying. It may not be a death sentence for those who come in immediate contact with them, but when they go back out into society, when they go back into their homes and they take it to their moms or their dads or their grandmoms or their granddads, it can be a death sentence, either for their moms or grandmoms or if their moms and grandmoms or granddads work in our long-term care facilities, it can be a death sentence for the ones that they spread it to. So statewide, for those venues that do not otherwise have limitations, and so these are for social gatherings, mainly parties thrown at your house or other places, 
is now limited to 10 indoors and 20 outdoors statewide. The third added measure by Reeves restricts operations in bars. Reeves says bars should look and work more like restaurants with space seating and cited the growing number of cases in 18 to 39-year-olds as a motivating, motivating factor behind the order. There are degrees to which quality of care can be delivered. For instance, whether you have COVID-19 or you're in an automobile accident or if you have a heart attack, the difference between going to Uh, an emergency room and being treated within the first 20 minutes or getting in an ambulance and driving for two hours to the first available bed is a very different outcome long term. The difference between having doctors and nurses that are working on you that are well rested, that have not been overwhelmed, that have not been working 22 hours a day, seven days a week versus those who have is just a different level of quality of care. We're all humans. And so when we look at and talk about our hospital system, it's not as if one day we're going to tell you, hey, we are getting close to an overwhelmed system, and the next day we're going to come in and say, boom, it's done, we're overwhelmed, nobody can go to the hospital. It's, it's degrees. Both Reeves and State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs recognize the skepticism some residents may express over the high case numbers or the severity of transmission. Dobbs says the data points to a common narrative. Healthy skepticism is is very appropriate, and certainly everyone should be held accountable. Uh, Paranoia is a little bit destructive, and and certainly a lot of the voices that I think carry the most weight are sometimes the loudest but also to a a minority – you know, I, I, I appreciate all the positive feedback I get from folks saying, you know, we appreciate what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. I, I really do. But consistency is really important, right? So, and also predicting. And, and what did we say a long time ago? We said, okay, we're going to be seeing more cases. We're going to see more hospitalizations. We're going to see more deaths. And it's happened because we've been following it very closely. And everything is, is coming together in a common narrative. Um, UMC and all the hospitals aren't making up the fact that their their hospitals are full. We're not flying people to Georgia because they can't get a hospital bed in Mississippi just just for the heck of it. Everything fits a narrative that makes sense. Um, you know, just you know, be skeptical of the skeptics because um, it's really easy to have a wacky idea and a, um, and a medical degree from Facebook. And, and think you know what you're talking about. So, you know, please, you know, just please ignore uh, conspiracy nonsense. And, and, you know, I've spent my whole life doing this. This is what I've committed myself to. This isn't just some random one-off sort of thing I'm doing for fun of it. The trend of high cases has some communities and school officials rethinking plans to resume school in August. Dobbs says there is credibility in taking a delayed approach to reopening, but it must be accompanied by a reduction in transmission to make a difference. There is some merit to delaying school, and certainly there's a lot of conversation about that. The Mississippi AAP has had a lot of conversations about maybe talking about delaying school because of the high number of cases. But if we're going to do that, we have to couple that with a commitment to get the numbers down because what I'm seeing right now is the numbers are not going to be better in September. They're going to be worse. They don't have to be, but, um, but you know, delaying – as appropriate and, and getting a little bit more time to make plans and also, too, to see where things are is a very valid approach. And it, it's something that I think um, can, make, can make some sense. But, um, 
uh, I, I think there's just more to come on that conversation. Reeves, who has echoed the call from the White House to get kids back in classrooms, says districts have had months to prepare plans for students to return to campus safely and effectively. We've been out of school since early March. There's been adequate and sufficient time for our school districts to plan, to innovate, to make decisions that are in the best interest of kids. And I am, I, I remain an eternal optimist. I'm optimistic that we're going to get those uh, reports back in in July 31, and, and a large majority of districts are going to have innovative plans in place. Uh, the notion that we are going to stay out of school until we can come back with no risk of the virus and, and teach just the way we've always done it is not an acceptable option, period. Mississippi has reported nearly as many cases of COVID-19 in July as it did in the first three and a half months of the pandemic. Coming up, Mississippi's three public HBCUs will not be playing football this fall. We check in with their athletic departments about the SWAC's decision to suspend fall sports. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And, of course, all of MPB's other great podcasts are there, too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. After causing the cancellation of winter championships and spring seasons, the coronavirus pandemic is now threatening football and other fall sports. The Ivy League said earlier this month it is canceling all fall sports, toppling the first in what appears to be a string of dominoes. This week, the South, uh, the Southwestern Athletic Conference announced it will suspend its football and fall sports until the spring, making it the first major conference with ties to Mississippi to take such action. Mississippi's three public HBCUs, Jackson State University, Alcorn State University, and Mississippi Valley State University are all members of the SWAC. Derek Horn is Director of Athletics at Alcorn State. He tells our Michael Guidry the member institutions chose to do what is in the best interest of its student athletes. I think you have to take a look at what's, what's going on right now and the challenges that we're having with the pandemic and COVID-19 and and our um, member institutions are in states that are uh, being severely impacted by, uh, you know, by, by this, uh, by the virus. And it's just kind of challenging right now to see if that was going to be, uh, there was going to be a <clears throat> opportunity to put our student athletes in a, the best position possible to compete. Football is a is a big driver of athletics departments in the in, in the South in Mississippi. What will it mean for the Alcorn State community and and then the greater Lorman community to not have football in the fall? Well, it it, it, it will mean the same thing that it means to you know all institutions that that are Division One that uh, their revenue is generated uh, in part by by football and, and what comes along with it. But uh, we've been discussing this not only as a conference, but as an institution uh, uh, after the pandemic uh, affected us all, just having an understanding of what uh, the future might look like and having scenarios to be prepared for 
uh, you know, the best and or worst case scenarios. Part of that preparing for the best case scenario is a conference schedule in the spring. How far along is the planning for that, and how fluid are you going to keep those plans? Well, one thing that we did, and, and, I, and I applauded our commissioner, uh, Dr. Charles McClellan, we were talking about conference-only schedules back in the latter part of March, early April. Uh, and we've uh, had discussions, particularly if we're going to try and do uh, or have, you know, have football in the fall. Uh, but what we're just going to do is take that model and move it to the spring and accommodate it in some time where it won't be too much of a conflict with our spring sports. We're talking primarily about the playing seasons right now, but these fall sports uh, have off-seasons uh, and recruiting seasons that usually occur in the spring. How are how are the recruiting seasons and the recruiting policies, procedures, uh, going to change or be affected by moving fall sports to the spring? Well, you know, I think the thing that we have to take a look at, Michael, is that this, this is the first-time occurrence. So it's a fluid situation. So we take our guidance from the NCAA and the SWAC to, to, to uh, find out how they're going to modify those recruiting opportunities. But we are in a, in a time right now that not only is athletics or universities, but our communities are, are having to, to adjust. So uh, we're just going to work and adjust and follow those rules that the NCAA gives us, the SWAC gives us, and then we also have to deal with what, uh, what, what, what our institution also shares with us. You're the only conference so far that has elected to suspend the season rather than cancel it. Uh, what puts the, the SWAC in a position to make that decision? Uh, is it the infrastructure? Is, is it the, the camaraderie amongst institutions to try to find a solution? What, what's the driving factor on trying to get the season played in the spring? Well, I, I think the thing that is so beneficial is that uh, we do this for our student-athletes, and we want all of our student-athletes to have uh, the best experience. You know, our baseball, softball, and a number of our spring sports were impacted, and we just want to work hard to make sure that we can do it in a way that's safe uh, for them, but also to give them an opportunity to, to have a fulfilling uh, collegiate experience. Derek Horn is the Director of Athletics at Alcorn State University. Thank you, Mr. Horn. In the capital city, the athletics department at Jackson State University echoes the call to put the safety of the student-athlete first. Dennis Driscoll is JSU's Associate Athletic Director of Sports Media. He says the decision to postpone should make for an active and exciting spring. The health of our student-athletes and the wellness of our student-athletes is the number one priority. Um, uh, our uh, vice president and director of athletics, Ashley Robinson, um, that is his number one priority. Um, nothing is ahead of that. So he's uh, the chair of the athletic directors for the SWAC. So he had a very, um, I would say, a, a large role in the, the SWAC's decision to do that. So at the end of the day, that's what the decision was was, was made for. So this decision is in the best interest of student-athletes, their their health and well-being. But when we look at the bigger picture and we consider what especially the football season means for the JSU community, um, what are going to be some of the, the obstacles in, in negotiating the, the, the delay and the suspension of fall sports potentially into the spring um, when those Saturdays you know, in downtown Jackson mean so much to the JSU community? Well, you know, it's definitely it was a, a tough decision that had to be made. You know, football is for the fall. I mean, that's 
that's across the, the, the country, I guess you could say that's our new American pastime. So, you know, as we go into the spring, um, that's what we're, we're looking forward to do. And, um, you know, on campus, the student athletes will, will be coming back at the same time as the regular students would arrive. So for the fall, we're just going to prepare for the spring. And that's kind of what we're going to attempt to do. And then, um, you know, we need to make sure that we prepare prepare our, our student athletes to be ready to compete in the spring. You said earlier that, you know, football is for the fall. What do you think the, the JSU Athletic Department and the SWAC in general are going to be able to do to kind of replicate that environment uh, in the spring with other sports on campus? That's a, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, we're moving all of our fall sports to the spring. That includes football, obviously, you got volleyball and soccer. So there is a chance for the spring from January or Feb- February to May, it's going to be sports nirvana. We're going to have probably, honestly, something going on every day on campus. And that's going to be really exciting. Um, we have something called Blue and White Week that uh, A.D. Robinson calls our, our spring homecoming, which will probably be our homecoming now. So obviously we're all very disappointed that there won't be a fall, but now we have an opportunity come next spring to really just blow it out of the water. Because, I mean, there's going to be something every day on campus. Um, you're going to have all these sports. So we're, we're just all excited for, for that and see what the, the spring can, can do for us. Dennis Driscoll is the Associate Athletic Director of Sports Media at Jackson State University. Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you. Last week, the Mississippi Association of Community Colleges announced it's pushing back the start of its football season to October. Schedules will be reduced to division opponents only, with a playoff to determine the championship. Neither the Southeastern Conference nor Conference USA, the other two NCAA Division I conferences with ties to Mississippi, have announced changes to their seasons. Coming up, the census response rate in Mississippi is below the national average. We examine why it's important to get counted. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The U.S. Census Bureau is continuing to count every person living in the country for the 2020 census. But the self-report rates in Mississippi are falling below the national average, 57 percent in state compared to 62 percent nationally. Response is even slower in the capital city, dropping to a 56 percent rate. Marilyn Stevens is an assistant regional census manager. She says census workers are back in the field to ensure those who have yet to sell report get counted. If you don't get your mail directly to your home, but you receive your mail from a uh, post office box, then we have to hand deliver your census materials in an operation uh, we term update leave. So we had just started the operation in March when we had to pull our uh, teams out of the field um, because of the pandemic. And we did not return to the field um, in those areas uh, until May the 4th. So uh, those households in those rural communities uh, did not hear anything from us as far as 
any type of correspondence. Now, when I talked to um, a census representative several months ago, actually, I think it was right before the pandemic, the return in Mississippi was very high. How is it now? Well, uh, Mississippi's at a 57.2 uh, response rate, and uh, the national response rate is at 62.3%. So Mississippi's just a few points you know, behind uh, the national response rate. Um, at the time, I have spoken um, with the state, so they're stepping up their methods, uh, as well as those counties in Mississippi um, that are, that have low response rates. We're seeing an uptick uh, now that we have completed the update leave operation in the rural areas. So we do see that many of, of, of them are um, showing an increased response rate. But we are still uh, pressing our efforts in those areas. They, they, they are still uh, somewhat low. Are there concerns for the safety of census takers being out in the field and being exposed to people in this pandemic? Well, uh, we will start what's called a non-response follow-up operation on August the 11th. And that's why we have this a huge push now prior to that uh, to talk with the households that have yet to respond to say, we need you to self-respond today because we're only going to be in the field to follow up with non-responding households. So the more households that self-respond, the fewer households we'll have to follow up with. Uh, we, in our uh, training, we have had to add an, another module on safety and security, um, the, the donning of PPE, which is mandatory uh, for our field staff, we will, we will uh, no longer um, be inside to do the interview. Uh, we will have to practice social distancing. So the householders will have to come outside um, for us to conduct the interview with them and preferably in a well-ventilated uh, uh, area. So there are some new uh, guidelines. What are the options for pe- or the ways that people can respond to the census? Oh, that's my favorite question. Uh, for the first time in history, and I tell my team all the time, you know, every census is historic, but this and this census is not disappointed. Uh, for the first time, people have all these options to respond. You can res- you can respond online by going to my2020census.gov, and in less than ten minutes, you can complete the census for your entire household. Or if you would like to talk with a representative to respond by telephone, uh, you may call one. 844-330-2020 to respond by phone. Or if you are a traditionalist and you have that paper questionnaire and you want to fill it out and mail it back, do so. There's no postage unnecessary. Marilyn, I filled out mine online, but as soon as I went on, it asked for the number that had been sent to me. What if people don't have a number? Can they still respond? Absolutely. Right, yes, they can. Right underneath those boxes uh, for your uh, ID number that really all that ID number did was identify the, the uh, map spot where your address is. You just click underneath there in the blue. It says if you do not have your ID number, you click on, on that link and they will just ask you for your address. You put your address in and then you can proceed with completing your questionnaire uh, with no problem. And here's the most important question and my final question. Why is it so important for people to participate in the census? The primary reason that we conduct the census is for apportionment, to determine the number of seats that each state will get in Congress. So 
the more seats that you have, the bigger that state's voice. And then that secondary reason is the distribution of federal funds. So you want to ensure that your community gets its fair share. And the only way you can do that. And some people say, well, I don't want to participate because the census uh, has nothing to do with me. I said, if infrastructure is important to you, if education is important to you, if healthcare is important to you, if affordable housing is important to you, if, if, if emergency management and emergency services are important to you, if services for seniors are important to you, if services for veterans are important to you, more than 140 programs that we all depend on, uh, these population statistics weigh heavy. Do the, and the question we all should ask ourselves, do our numbers support our needs? And the only way you can uh, be assured of that is to participate in the census. Marilyn Stevens is the Assistant Regional Census Manager. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Thank you. The Census Bureau says the COVID-19 pandemic underscores the need for accurate 2020 census data and is encouraging people to respond to the 2020 census on their own so fewer census takers need to visit non-responding households. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.